everyone, and welcome back to the Mind Movement Health Podcast. I'm your host, Kate Boyle, and this week on the show, I have a very special guest, Megan Lyons. Now, Megan has a master's degree in holistic nutrition, and she has become double board certified in holistic nutrition and clinical nutrition as well. Now, Megan helps to inspire others to feel their healthiest and happiest by sharing cutting edge scientific information combined with a healthy dose of compassion. Now, in our interview today, we are talking about metabolic health and metabolic syndrome and why this is such an important part of our health that we need to focus on. So we dive into these topics. We also discuss the differences between males and females, diet, lifestyle, sleep, and so much more. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Let's have a listen in. Hi, I'm Kate Boyle, and welcome to the Mind Movement Health Podcast. Each week, I'll be bringing you health information from diet and lifestyle to movement and nutrition. My aim is to bring you bite-sized pieces of information that you can instigate into your everyday life to change your health. everyone and welcome back to the podcast. Today I have a very special guest on the show. Megan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Kate. I'm really excited to be here. Well, so am I because I love geeking about, you know, all things nutrition and health and you're the perfect person to do that with. Now, before we dive into our topic today on metabolic health, can you share with listeners a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Sure. Well, I live across the world from you uh, in Dallas, Texas. I live here with my husband and my two dogs, and I own a business called The Lion's Share Wellness, which is primarily one-to-one nutrition consulting combined with a bunch of extra fun stuff. So a podcast, some corporate wellness, some group programs, anything really I can get my hands on in the nutrition and wellness world. And I truly love what I do. I started off uh, studying economics in undergrad and got an MBA and was in the business world for a while. And that was fine. It just wasn't amazing to me. And I knew I wanted and needed amazing for my life. And so I took the leap in 2014 and I haven't looked back a day since. Amazing. And was there something in your journey that made you really want to dive into health and that sort of made you realize, yep, I need to change careers? Yes, there was. Like many of us in this career, I've been through a long and winding journey with my health. And for me personally, I believe most of it has been rooted in my own stress and the pressure that I put on myself. So even from the moment I was in kindergarten, I remember there was a summer reading competition. And not only did I want to win that competition, but I wanted to double the next person of how many books they read. So I've just been that high achieving person since my early childhood. And that's really great in so many ways. I try not to uh, cloud over that and actually change that part of myself completely. But when it comes to health, that doesn't work out very well. So as I was growing up and being that high achiever, I was living in a, a quote, normal household, eating the standard American diet, which we abbreviate to be sad. And it was sad. My parents didn't know any anything else. They were trying their best, but 
it was largely unhealthy, lots of processed foods, things like that. But honestly, I didn't worry about it. It was just fine. I was, you know, not experiencing any health issues. So no problem. But then I got to college. I started dating my husband. We met on move in day of college and he was on the track and cross country team. So he was running a lot. And I thought, hey, maybe I should get into health. That looks interesting. So I tried to start running. And from there, I jumped off into reading these quote health magazines. I don't know if you had them, but like Shape Magazine and Cosmopolitan and all of this (laughs) stuff that basically told me be on the elliptical for two to three hours a day and eat a half a protein bar for lunch. And because I'm a high achiever, I did that. I spent two hours on the elliptical every day and I got less and less healthy and I got more and more obsessed with health. And I thought, thankfully, I I was able to rescue myself with the help of my parents and, and my boyfriend at that time, husband now being like, hey, this isn't working out very well. Something's wrong. You're tired all the time. You're sick all the time. You look emaciated. You're worried about food constantly. You won't eat the things the family will eat. And I, what they didn't know was my hormones were a wreck, like everything. I was feeling anxiety out the roof. I just knew there was a better way. So that journey set me off into learning what real nutrition was. And back then there was the internet, but it wasn't quite as accessible. Mm -hmm. We didn't even have Instagram. This was like 2004 or, or sometime in the middle of my college years. So I was literally going to conferences. I was reading books, all of this stuff. And Finally, for me, I found the recipe of actually fueling my body and moving my body appropriately that worked. And it was not what the magazines were telling me. So because of that journey, I wanted to be able to help other people do the same. Yeah, that's amazing. And I think there, even nowadays, there's so many conflicting messages out there. And, you know, whether or not you get it from a magazine or you get it from social media, you know, the advice that's coming through, sometimes it's from qualified people, sometimes it's from non-qualified people. And it's really hard to decipher what's going to work for you as well. That's exactly right. I tell my clients all the time, there's a lot of great information on the internet. And there's also some not great for you information on the internet. And maybe those people were very well-meaning as they published the information. Maybe it worked for them, whatever they're promoting. But because of bio-individuality and because of, unfortunately, everyone's desire for clickbait and getting more attention and all this stuff, we just can't believe everything we see up there. Yeah, exactly. And I think we have to be careful too that a lot of, say, influencers online are trying to push certain products that they're getting paid for, you know, whether or not they've even used the product. So that's something to keep in mind as well. A hundred percent true. I you know, it, it's it's such a double-edged sword because I believe that people should be paid for the work that they do. And again, many times they're promoting products that they really do believe in, but we don't know that. We need like a little barometer that says, okay, yes, this person is really using the product and really experiencing great results, or uh, they've never used it a day in their life, but they're making a million dollars or whatever. And we just don't have that. Yeah. And that's unfortunate. Sometimes we just kind of have to do that legwork ourselves behind the scenes, don't we? Yes, absolutely. Now, diving into metabolic health, can you share with our listeners that might not be familiar with the term, what is metabolic health and what? why should we be so concerned about it? 
Yes, absolutely. So people listening have heard of metabolism and they think uh, we think of metabolism as just how well the diet is working in quotes or how my pants are fitting or something like that. And that's part of it. But our metabolism is really the whole entire process by which our body converts and uses energy. So what that means is we eat food. How does that turn into energy? And it's really this whole complicated uh, your endocrine system are all your hormones. So these are hormones that people might have like insulin, which controls our blood sugar, like cortisol, which is one of our stress hormones. Even like the sex hormones come into play when we talk about metabolic health. Metabolic health also bleeds into cardiovascular health. It talks about your blood pressure and your cholesterol and all of this stuff. So I think almost every aspect of health falls under metabolic health, but technically it's the way that we convert energy or convert food and use it for energy. Amazing. And then when it comes to metabolic syndrome, people may have heard of that term and, you know, the stats are that 88% of Americans are metabolically unhealthy. So yes, what is metabolic syndrome then? Yeah, so metabolic syndrome is a relatively new uh, set of diet or one diagnosis that one diagnosis that covers several conditions. So basically, you have to have three of the five following factors. You have to have an elevated waist circumference, a low HDL, which is the cholesterol, the part of cholesterol that we want higher, a high triglyceride, a high fasting glucose, um, a high insulin. Some people, depending on which um, diagnostic board you're looking at, some people consider insulin and some people don't, and then high blood pressure. So if you have any of those three together, you technically have metabolic syndrome. And I know based on my clients, almost everyone that comes into me has at least something. They have an imbalanced cholesterol, they have blood sugar that's a little off. Maybe their waist circumference is not at a healthy range for them, or they have a slightly elevated blood pressure. And that's where we get that statistic that 88% of Americans are metabolically unhealthy. If you have at least one of those, you're considered metabolically unhealthy. Which is 88% is super high. <laughs> like, yes. You know, I know. High. And it's really unfortunate. And if you look at the statistics over time, literally there's a graph of metabolic health or metabolic disease, actually it is, and the advent of processed foods, including things with added sugar, things with preservatives, all of this kind of stuff. And we'll talk about it. I don't think we need to eliminate everything altogether. But if we look at those two, it's almost a direct correlation. The increase is... Um, uh, goes hand in hand with the advent of processed food. Yeah. And I mean, even just the increased risk or the increased incidence of diabetes and heart disease and all of those too, there's a strong correlation for all of those that are all related back to metabolic health. That's exactly right. Yes. The reason that they came up with this diagnosis of metabolic syndrome is that when you have metabolic syndrome, all of those things that you mentioned 
are the next step. So metabolic syndrome is like the precursor to cardiovascular disease, to type 2 diabetes, to something like that. It's like, if you don't get this under control, something else is coming next. And we want so bad as a health community, you, me, everyone included, we want to change that statistic. So we need to get better at catching it early and empowering people with the information because All of those things can be reversed. Every single thing that I've mentioned so far can be reversed with diet, lifestyle, all of the practices that we're talking about all the time. And that's the message I want to give. It seems really sad. It is really sad, not just seems that we're in this state, but we can do something about it, which is what fires me up every day. Which is amazing. And it's true. Like It can be horrible news if you sort of get the news that okay, yes, your blood sugar level is too high, but you can do something about it. And simple, just simple changes can make a huge difference as well. That's exactly right. We're speaking the same language. So if somebody's listening in and maybe they have received some type of diagnosis from the doctor that they've said, you know what, maybe you do need to check in with your health a little bit more and make some changes. Where would people start changing their metabolic health? Yes, I'll give you, I think the answer that maybe you want to hear more practical answer, but first I'll try a little bit more obscure answer. And this is what I ask my clients. I say to them, if I had a magic button and I could just help you change one health habit and it would be super easy, you don't have to work for it at all, what would that be? And many times they know exactly their pain point. They'll say, oh, it would just be kicking that Coca-Cola habit, or it would just be getting better sleep, or it would just be getting in some movement every day, getting back to my uh, Pilates class or something like that. They know it's eating away inside at them and it just feels insurmountable. And oftentimes that's where I'll start is on some behavioral strategies to help them do that one thing that they want to do already with the magic button. But if for some reason they say, well, I don't know, or you tell me, Megan, what I should do instead, the lowest hanging fruit is sugar-sweetened beverages. So when I actually just reported today on an umbrella study, which is like a study of studies of studies, it's like three layers high. And they showed again and again and again, they showed, I believe, 37 different diseases that the number one food and lifestyle factor correlated to all of these diseases was sugar-sweetened beverages. So that's soda, that's, you know, fancy sugary coffee drinks, that's juices with added sugar, that's sports drinks, that's all of that stuff that at least as Americans... Most people are consuming many of those per day, and that's the easiest place to start is just to start cutting back on those. That makes a huge difference for your metabolic health. Mm. And it's one of the areas I always think it's super simple, like, you know, you can do it. But like you said, so many people are used to drinking these sugary beverages that it's sometimes a bit hard to start. That's right. And your taste buds six Diet Cokes per day. I shudder to think of it, but it's true. We all have our uh, things in the closet and that's what I was doing. I didn't drink coffee. I thought that was healthy in quotes because it was diet soda. And again, not saying that anyone's a terrible terrible person at all if they're still drinking that. But I knew six, where I didn't know, once I started learning about nutrition, I knew that six Diet Cokes a day was not healthy. So I just started gradually. I remember one week I said, I'll do five a day, then four a day, then three a day, then two a day, and then one a day, and then one a week. And then honestly, by that point, I was like, 
I'm fine without it. And now, 20 years later, if I taste it, it tastes disgusting to me. It truly does not taste good at all. I would not want to drink that, but my taste buds have changed over time. So even if it feels really hard to someone now, just know your taste buds will change. You will appreciate water or hot tea or iced tea or whatever it is that you want to drink, water with mint leaves, water with cucumbers, water with anything in there. There are so many options. So you bring up a really good point because I think people realize, they don't realize that their taste buds need time to change and that we do, you know, get used to a certain flavor and that we have to expose ourselves over and over again for those taste buds to start to change. That's right. And the same applies to kids. I know it's super hard to be a parent, but oftentimes I'll hear over and over, well, I made my kid broccoli and he didn't eat it. So that was a waste of time. And I say, oh goodness, I know that must be really frustrating. But if your kid is seven years old and hasn't had broccoli his whole life, and then one time you just put a pile of broccoli on his plate, of course he's not going to like it. He needs to develop the taste buds to that exposure, which some, or to that flavor. Some research shows it takes 10 exposures for kids whose taste buds are more adaptable to begin to appreciate a food. And I know that's frustrating for parents, but that first time, it's not a magic bullet. It doesn't always work that time. So we have to have patience and try different ways. And I tell my clients to say, okay, Billy, or whatever the kid's name is, we learned you didn't like boiled broccoli. Next time, do you want to try roasted broccoli with me? Or next time, do you want to try broccoli with ketchup or something? Go crazy. It's okay. Whatever we need to do, make it exciting and get their buy-in so that they're willing to try it again. Eventually, their taste buds will change just like ours will. Yeah, exactly. And I know even with my own girls, you know, say it's, you know, keeping on the the broccoli analogy, they'll try that and they might not like it one night when we have fish and we'll be like, well, why don't you combine it together with your potato or try it with, you know, a different food. And then they'll be like, oh, this tastes really great with lamb. It doesn't taste good with fish or, you know, and they'll find their own combinations to help them develop their taste buds as well. That is so amazing. It's really wonderful that you're empowering them to be able to do that. Yeah, well, if I think for an adult, you just think you've already worked it out. You've spent all those years working out, you know, what flavor combos taste good, but kids just, they don't have any idea until they start playing around. Absolutely right. Hi, everyone. I'm interrupting this podcast to let you know that my free fully charged five-day challenge is back and it's bigger than ever. We are kicking off on Monday, the 13th of November. So if you are ready to end the year strong, to develop really simple, healthy habits in 15 minutes or less a day and do some Pilates with me, then be sure to head on over to the show notes and sign up for my free five-day challenge now. This is going to be an amazing week of health, Pilates, connecting with me, answering your questions. Okay. So really sign up. You've got nothing to lose. Head on over to the show notes now, and I can't wait to see you in the challenge. All right, let's get back to this week's episode. Now, when it comes to our metabolic health, are there differences between men and women and how, you know, it's our metabolic health, you know, or lack of metabolic health might show up? 
Yes, there are. And instead of thinking it as thinking of it as women have more hindrances or more challenges, I like to think that women just have more superpowers. I'm a little biased because I'm a woman, uh, but we just have more fluctuations with our hormones. And remember that hormones are governing all of metabolic health. So we think of hormones like ghrelin and leptin and insulin as metabolic health, but those are all influenced by for one, cortisol, which is that stress hormone I mentioned. And women just, A, tend to hold on to a little more stress in general, and B, we tend to be more susceptible to fluctuations in cortisol as a stress hormone, which influences insulin. And then we have, for those of us who are cycling, who are having a menstrual cycle, we have the monthly fluctuation of our hormones. And at various times in our cycle, like the last phase of our cycle in particular, we tend to be much more insulin resistant. So we tend to have a higher blood sugar overall. We tend to have more dramatic swings in blood sugar. So you might have more cravings. You might feel more tired. You might be pulled to more sugar. And this, unfortunately, it feels like, oh, my body needs it. But this is still impacting our metabolic health. So we just have several other factors to consider. One other thing about cortisol, that first one that I mentioned, is we are, we get the gift of being able to really listen to our bodies when it comes to exercise, stress, fasting, all of those stressors, none of which women shouldn't do. Like some people say, oh, women shouldn't exercise. No, absolutely. I don't believe that. But we are not designed to burn our bodies into the ground every single day of the month, every single day of the year. We really need to listen to our body more. Otherwise, we're bucking against those hormonal trends and we're causing ourselves more damage than benefit. Yeah. And, you know, the world in general is made for men and made for men's cycles, you know, rather than a cyclical cycle for women. But there is more of a movement out there now. You know, there's a lot more women saying, you know, pay attention to your cycle to try to design your work life around your cycle, your social life, your exercise as well. Yes, absolutely. And I always like to tell people it, it seems really nice to be able to do that quote perfectly. You know, I like to do everything to the extreme. And so when I first read about all of this, I was like, great, well, I'll just make my 28-day exercise cycle and I'll change my work schedule completely and all of this stuff. And then I realized... I still do live in everyone else's world as well, which is a male-driven world, like you said. So I just try to remind myself and my clients, even little bits matter. And part of that is just listening to your body. Depending on which stage of my cycle I'm in, I'll be extra gentle about, hey, yeah, you scheduled a run, but maybe you just want to walk today. Or you scheduled that social event, but maybe you can postpone it, or maybe it would be a bigger gift to yourself to say no, or vice versa. It does take listening to our body, and it does take grace. It's not about total perfection of cycle mapping every single day, every single aspect. Yeah. And again, it's that 
listening to your body, connecting to your body. And sometimes that takes a bit of time to build that relationship, whether or not you can explore that through, you know, breath work or yoga or Pilates or meditation or just some walks in nature, but trying to carve out that time where you can, you know, really drop back into that parasympathetic state and pay attention yes. and calm your nervous system, that can be really helpful as well. So helpful. And I'll just speak to myself of 20 plus years ago. If someone is hearing that and saying, oh, Kate and Megan, like, that's nice. But no, I don't I don't need to just go for a walk like I'm a marathon runner. or I'm a hard charger. That's also really amazing for you. And it's not a waste of time to do any of those things that Kate said. I honestly used to think all of that, which I do daily meditation, breath work, all of that, and at least weekly Pilates, yoga, etc. I used to think it was all a waste of time. And now I realize those activities give me so much more time power. So yes, I spend 10 minutes meditating or or 30 minutes doing yoga or an hour doing yoga or whatever, but that gives me so much more time, energy, peace, joy throughout the rest of the day that it is the opposite of a waste of time. It's the best use of time. Yeah. And I think too, it's finding what works for you. You may try meditation and you just don't gel, but then you may try yeah journaling or it may be yoga or you know it's really again trying to individualize what works for you totally agree yes now when it comes to you know focusing on uh, cortisol as we touched on before what are some easy ways that women can start to help reduce their cortisol or even potentially their stress levels as well Okay, I'm going to take your question as it was worded, and I'm going to say, I wish I knew the answer because none of it is actually that easy. It is simple, and it doesn't have to be as hard as we think in our brain, but I would love it if I could just say, oh, Kate, eat one apple a day, and then you won't have a cortisol issue or something <laughs> like that, and oftentimes it's going deeper. So the first step is to find something exactly like you just said that will engage the parasympathetic parasympathetic nervous system. And I explain to people, it's either, which I'm sure you've explained on the on the show before, it's either fight or flight, which is sympathetic. And most of us are driving in that all day, go, 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 or it's parasympathetic and that's rest and digest. And so whether that's a breathing app or breathing exercises or stepping outside, one of my favorites, honestly, is just laying on the floor in the middle of the day, just like get down on the floor of my office and lay down and not do anything. Just focus on my breath just right there. That's amazing. Journaling, like you said, prayer, stretching, yoga, dancing for a lot of people, whatever it is, finding a way to do that once a day. And then when I say that, people are like, oh my gosh, once a day, that's crazy. <laughs> but really, I ask people to just start with a minute literally 60 seconds once a day. And then once we realize that's doable, then we can build on from there. And I've worked with world's leading CEOs and moms of a whole lot of kids and all kinds of things, and they can all find one minute of the day. If we can't find that, we've got to reprioritize. And then, like I said, that grows. So that's step number one. A couple of other steps, though, those things that we turn to very frequently when we're in that fight or flight state, like sugar and alcohol and caffeine, those are not helping us, unfortunately. They're helping us in the moment 
takes the edge off or that chocolate gives us the rush of dopamine or that coffee does give us that boost of adrenaline. But what caffeine is doing is actually um, mimicking adenosine, which is a, a molecule that makes us tired and caffeine's binding to those adenosine receptors. Adenosine is then building up in our bloodstream and then it really hits us later and makes us even more tired later. So it's not really giving us energy. It's just putting off the tiredness until later when it hits us. And then when it hits us, then we tend to get more sugar or caffeine or alcohol and wind up on this vicious cycle, which really is straining to our adrenals. So again, for most people, I don't think you need to cut out 100% all of those caffeine, alcohol, sugar. Um, I don't cut out all of those 100%. But if we're turning to those, if we know we have a dependence on those and we're relying on them on a daily or hourly basis, it is worth cutting back on that. Prioritizing sleep is another really, really tough one. This was one of the toughest ones for me because I'm someone who honestly can survive off of like four hours of sleep. I definitely do not thrive and I have a low grade headache all day and I'm not productive and I'm snappy and mean and all of this kind of stuff, but I can survive. And I did that for several years and really damaged my hormones. And I believe that it was multifactorial. The healing process always is. But sleep was one of the huge pieces that until I optimized and prioritized sleep, I really could not get myself out of that hole. So um, finding some parasympathetic uh, ways to activate that part of our nervous system, reducing caffeine, sugar, alcohol, and prioritizing sleep. Those are probably the first steps that I would give. Yeah, I love that because I think too, when it comes to sleep, like you said, everybody thinks of diet and exercise as being the, the things to focus on first and sleep will come further down the list, but our sleep can make huge differences. And even if it's just, you know, going to bed 10 or 15 minutes earlier or setting a regular, you know, go to bed, wake up time, you know, getting that cycle going, you know, it just all cutting out alcohol or caffeine after midday, just so you can help you sleep. Yes. Um, reducing uh, exposure to blue light in the evening and getting sunlight in the morning to stimulate that melatonin production. There are lots of little things that we can do, but I think, you know, that's the thing that people don't think about at all. That's exactly right. It's so tempting for us, myself included, to go all in to say, okay, I'm going on a diet and I'm cutting out sugar altogether and I'm doing all this stuff and I'm going hardcore. And we all know that that very rarely lasts for the long term. Instead, these little things like, okay, I'm not going to have blue light for start with 10 minutes before bed and then bump it up, or I'm going to breathe for one minute a day, or I'm going to move back my bedtime. All these things are the major difference movers that can actually develop into sustainable habits. And the diet as well, food is very important. That's my whole career. However, diving all the way into any change rarely works for one person. So I'm a big fan of baby steps. Yeah, baby steps for sure. And like you said, one little change at a time, make sure you can cement that into your routine and then move on to the next thing. Yes. Now, I want to move on to ask you about your book. So your book is Start Here, Seven Easy Diet-Free Steps to Achieve Your Ultimate Health and Happiness. And, you know, what really drove you to want to write a book? 
Well, I love writing. I've been writing a blog every, well, it's been periodic. It's been no less than once a month. Sometimes in 2013, it was every day. And then for a couple years in there, 2017-ish, it was every month. And now it's every week, but regularly uh, for over 10 years now. So I love writing as an outlet. I am like, just like podcasts, I'm much better in long form than I am in the 15 second snippets on social media or even in a graphic post on on social media. That's not my strength. I just love the written and spoken word. And I wanted to combat in some way what we were just talking about, all of those diets out there that sound so alluring that make people jump 18 steps ahead and then end up confusing them and they wind up back where they started, but a little bit more tired and a little bit more overwhelmed. So instead, my book is called Start Here. And I mean just that. If someone has the motivation to make some changes, I lay out seven tips. A lot of them your listeners would already guess, like eating more vegetables. That chapter is called Your Parents Were Right. Uh, We talked about the kids with broccoli, something like that. But not only do I tell you that's good, but I actually teach people how to do it and walk them through some strategies that work for real people. And I do believe that going back to these basics is far more powerful than anything fancy or flashy. So my book will never sell as many of some as many copies as some of those bestsellers, but I believe it's the best information. <laughs> Yeah. And that's it. It's the going back to basics, isn't it? People, I think, get attracted to the shiny and the new and the, you know, fantastic looking programs and things. But at the end of the day, it's really just those basics of getting good sleep, eating plenty of fruits and veggies, you know, going back to whole foods, moving your body daily, these boring basics that really make yes. You're so right. And people know this intuitively. Whenever I have someone who says, oh, I'm going to try XYZ approach, and then I start talking to them about people 100 years ago. I know that's a bit trite to say, but it's really true. 100 years ago, 200 years ago, one was weighing their chicken breast and stressing if it was 4.1 ounces instead of 4.0 ounces. And I'm not saying that's a terrible tool. If that works for you, that's great. No one was cutting out all kinds of food groups in an effort to, you know, do something that they read in a, a book or a magazine or whatever. People were just eating real food. We want there to be a flashier answer, but after all of this education in the nutrition world, I am convinced there's no flashy answer. It really is these basics. Yeah, but life 100 years ago was probably very different to what it looks like now. And I know one of the stats that um, I read recently was the introduction of the TV in like the 60s Mm. changed how long we slept for. So back then we slept for an average of 10 to 12 hours because TV wasn't invented. And now it's dropped, like you said, to around that six hour mark, which is probably not enough for most people. And they reckon that correlated with the introduction of TV. I did not know that people used to sleep up to 12 hours a night. That part of me thinks that sounds like a dream. And part of me thinks (laughs) I honestly don't think I could sleep 12 hours a night. Like one night I could surely do it, but 12 hours every night, I don't think I'm not tired. I don't know. No, but it's, you know, 
different genetics, different lifestyles, you know, we've evolved and changed, but so has our food system, our work balance with movement and life and changing of jobs and stuff too. You're absolutely right. And so that's where I believe that some of these practices and even things like supplements and uh, something like a smoothie, our our generations a hundred years ago certainly weren't were not blending up powders into smoothies or things like that, or we're not taking supplements, or we're not having to do you know fifteen minutes of a specific breathing exercise. So some of these things, I don't think we need to just mimic exactly. There is such a thing as uh, science to make us healthier. However, if we're getting too far, if we're going the complete opposite, I I think um, we probably just need to meet ourselves in the middle. Yeah. It's finding that balance at the end of the day, isn't it? Absolutely. Always about balance. Now, uh, can you share a little bit about your podcast as well? Yes, I have been having so much fun with the podcast. I hope you agree with me. It's just a fun outlet to get to share information and get to talk to other people. So I started Wellness Your Way in September 2021. It's a weekly podcast. I talk about all kinds of health topics, mostly nutrition since that's my passion, but uh, try to do a good variety. And they're about 30 to 40 minute episodes. Uh, They come out Tuesdays and I would love for any of your listeners to come on over. I think we have a lot of commonalities. So I hope that um, they will enjoy my podcast as well. Yeah, well, I will definitely link it up in the show notes because I think there'll be a lot of crossover there. And anybody listening to this podcast that's interested in health, you know, Megan's podcast is all about nutrition, which is definitely going to overlap. Thank you. Now, I always ask my guests, you know, as we come to the end, if there is one piece of health advice that our listeners could leave after listening to this podcast and instigate straight away, what would it be? Well, I have one, but it might bleed into a second one. And that's kind of going back to that magic button idea, which is if there's something that you know in your gut is holding you back. Try that not only next week or next Monday or January 1st, but try that today or tomorrow. I'll give you 24 hours. So here's an example of someone saying, oh man, I really need to exercise. I should, in quotes, exercise. I put it in air quotes because I think should is always an indication that um, we we could misalign or we have our priorities misaligned and we can change our motivation to wanting to do that. But maybe they're thinking I should exercise Well, just get up and exercise for five minutes right now, maybe one minute right now. Cut it down to as small of a step as possible and take action right now. Small action now will always trump large action in the future. So if we think about all these amazing books, Power of Habit, Atomic Habits, uh, there are so many that are uh, talking about this same topic. It's all about breaking down what's holding you back into one small step. So take that step within the next 24 hours. And then the bonus one is eat an extra vegetable today or tomorrow. I think that's going to help almost everyone. Yeah. Two nice and simple things that I think anybody can start with. So I love it. Now, can you share with listeners a little bit about uh, where they can connect with you and reach out with you and follow you on socials as well? 
Yes, absolutely. So that blog that I mentioned with lots of new content every week is the lionsshare.org. It's L-Y-O-N-S-S-H-A-R-E.org. And then I'm most active on Instagram. I've still not j- jumped the um, jumped over into TikTok or anything like that. But Instagram, I'm doing lots of information and having fun conversations with people. It's at the Lion's Share as well. Amazing. Well, we'll link that all up in the show notes for everybody and uh, listeners head on over to listen to Megan's podcast as well. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Megan. It's been a pleasure having you on. Thank you, Kate. It's been so much fun. Thanks for listening into the podcast. Please hit subscribe to be updated for each time we release a new podcast.